that slow fade in there slow and it's just going to die now though there there it goes all right shake the rust off ladies and gentlemen my name is matt rory we are six weeks since our last show and six minutes since nine o'clock so let's uh just jump right in shall we this is careless whispers you're listening to us here on clns media my man calvin chamberlain is here with me tonight calvin it's been a while, but we have talked to each other on post-game shows, a little bit different setting than what we have here tonight, but um, it's good to be back on, on Tuesday. Yeah, it's, it's good. it's good to be back. Yeah, we've been trying to get it going. It's just, you know, the Celtics keep winning, and for some reason they always seem to have games scheduled on a Tuesday or really have some kind of thing, but yeah, we've been trying to get it going a little uh, uh, a little more, but yeah, we're the worst. Basically. I got no. Yeah, problem. I mean, if we if we had actual fans, they would probably be throwing rocks at the building by now because, you know, I mean, we've just been so inconsistent. Uh, I think we we've had maybe three shows in the last four months, which is kind of crazy if you look at it. Like t- uh, tonight, April tenth, and March sixth, and then you got to go back to uh, the middle of February before we had back-to-back. For the last time, we had two weeks in a row with a show. So, very inconsistent here on Careless Whispers. Not like us, because we've been around for so, so long. But uh, either way, we're here for you tonight. And if you feel like giving us a call, you can. We haven't had a caller in probably seven months. But either way, 323-642-1484. And uh, we like to start Celtics around here, and that's probably the biggest story going. So... A little bit less momentum than we could have had if we just last week, Calvin. But either way, uh, the series is tied 2-2. It comes back to Boston tomorrow night. And I don't know. We talked a little bit after game three, that complete blowout. And then I felt a little better the next night because Houston got blown out by 41. Uh, and then the following night, last night, I felt a little bit worse because it, it just – I don't know if it's because they're young or 
they're just overwhelmed by LeBron or what have you, but the Celtics just can't seem to get it going on the road. And it's been like that all playoffs. So obviously it's not just LeBron, but they, they just, they, they can't seem to get it going on the road. And it's frustrating because they play so well at home. It's like they're kind of a Jekyll and Hyde situation. And it's, it's just been tough to watch when they play away from the TV garden. Yeah. I think that is definitely a part of it, right? Like they have not shot nearly as well, but I think, I think now after two games of this, I, I think it's fair to I'd give some credit where credit's due. I think the Cavs are not normally a very good defensive team, and even in series in games where they won, like against Indiana and even against Toronto, uh, they did not really play very good defense. But for whatever reason in this series, they've played excellent defense in the last couple of games, and maybe they've figured out some matchups. Maybe you want to argue that. You know, Tristan Thompson sort of playing well on that end. Um, LeBron is, seems energized on the defensive end, but like I watched that the uh, game four and you know to a lesser extent game three, and I I feel like their game three was like the Celtics just not running their offense. Game four just seemed like like the the Cavaliers were not letting them get open looks. Do you you disagree with that, or what do you think? You think it's all Celtics? Yeah, no, I don't know. It seems it seems like the effort was there in both games, and uh, the, the Celtics played a lot better. Uh, offensively in game four. I just, I, I think that they were the ones that couldn't find a way to get stops on the other end. I, I'm not so sure it was so much Cleveland. I think the Celtics missed a lot of opportunities. They had a lot of uh, shots close to the basket that didn't fall in game four. And I think it, they just, for whatever reason, they couldn't make a shot. And if they had, they would have gotten over the, they would have at least had a chance to get over the hump and make it a game at the end, instead of having Cleveland sort of run away with it again. Um, but to me, it, they have to find a way to, to stop Cleveland. And it's mainly LeBron James. And if he's playing the way that he played in the last two games, for the next two games, then this thing's, this thing's done. This thing is over. Because there's nobody that's going to stop LeBron James. And the Celtics' offense was there. So I, they're, they're going to find need to find a way to keep him under 30, I think, if they're going to win – even in Boston. And it's, it's, uh, it, it's frustrating to say that because I was so high on their, their potential when I saw the way that they were playing even last series, they looked like they were starting to gel. And I thought that they would have a chance to really get to the finals. And I'm not, it's not disappointing because it's all gravy at this point. I've said that a million times. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm happy with the result of the season. They could lose the next two games and it's going to hurt for a day or two. But ultimately, it, it's I'm fine with it, and it's I'm I'm happy with it, and it's going to be even better next year. So you have to sort of bridge the gap there. But those couple of days is going to be tough because they they looked like they had LeBron on the ropes a little bit, and we'll see what happens here over the course of the next couple of games. But he bounced back pretty effectively in in Cleveland, and I truly thought that they were going to split. Yeah, I was concerned about it this entire time. The thing about it is, is like you said, they they got to hold LeBron to to thirty if they want to win, right? I don't, I don't know if anyone can hold LeBron to thirty. I think that, yeah, like it's tough for, right now. For, yeah, for a team to be look, if LeBron plays, if LeBron scores less than thirty, it's because he's trying to be passer LeBron. You know what I mean? If if sometimes he'll score in the high twenties, okay, fine. Like, but he's he's sort of being a little bit more passive, or not even more passive, but like, 
that, that just the game flow goes away from him. But I don't think, like, he's very often going to have a game where he's just, like, terrible from the field. I think in order to beat the Cavaliers, you have to beat the Cavaliers in games where LeBron does score 40. Like the Celtics did in game two. LeBron was awesome in game two, and the Celtics still won that game. I think you have to be good enough to overcome a dominant LeBron performance. I mean, the same thing happened against the Warriors uh, last year when they lost that series. Uh, LeBron was awesome. LeBron was awesome when they lost to the Spurs 2014. I, I, I think that, like, to beat LeBron, you can't really shut him down so much as, like, overwhelm him with just, an, you know, an offensive uh, deluge or shut everybody else so, down. I, I don't, yeah. So I was going to say the last couple of games have, have started to make me wonder – is LeBron was LeBron really just toying with the Celtics in those first two games? And it doesn't matter where he plays. Is he going to be able to do this in Boston? Are the other guys going to step up? Because I, I, I'm starting to believe that LeBron James is just trying to break every record there is, right? He just wants to go out and just smash every record. And any time that he can uh, sort of do something to the Boston Celtics, I think in his mind, it it, uh, it probably makes him feel pretty good because they've gotten him a couple times and it's been a tough place for him to play and all of that. But also, historically, they're one of the greatest franchises in the history of, of the NBA. One of the two greatest, right? And it's... Yeah. It, so, to me, the Celtics went up 2-0 in this series. The Boston Celtics as a franchise have never lost a playoff series or being up 2-0. So uh, I'm trying to dig down way deep. I'm, I'm digging six feet under at, at this point for some sort of nugget, you know, to throw out there and just have to see if it sticks on the wall. But I feel like LeBron wants to, wants to break that. I feel like he wants to be the only person to ever beat the Boston Celtics after being down 2-0. And the fact that he came back against – the greatest, quite arguably the greatest team in NBA history, especially over the regular season, the Golden State Warriors, just a couple of years ago, being down 3-1. I'm starting to wonder if he's actually going to do that here. Uh, and that's that's what leads me to this next little thing, is that I, I don't want this to go seven games, Calvin. If the Celtics can't find a way to win on the road in Cleveland in game six, I don't, I, I don't want to show up. I don't want to go to TD Garden. And it's just I'd rather try and make some money on the thing because I feel like LeBron James is is going to rip out my heart and take a bite out of it and then hand it to J.R. Smith, and he's just going to, I don't know, squish it under his foot. I just – I have a bad feeling about LeBron James in game seven, and maybe I'm just being a, too much of a pessimist. But uh, this it, that's why I'm, I'm more worried now after the Celtics dropped two games in Cleveland than I was – just a week ago. Well, look, look the, the, the 2-0 idea, um, while, look, I'll be happy if the Celtics, I mean, I don't really want to see the Cavs again in the finals, to be honest with you. And I don't think the Celtics have a chance of winning the finals. So I'd be okay with him going to the finals. But, I, yeah, the, the, the notion that, like, LeBron wants to make history again, again uh, beating the Celtics, the, being the first, I think they're what thirty-seven now. Is is what I heard. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, all the time when they go up two zero, I think LeBron wanted to be the first guy to do that when he was down two zero. I don't think at 0 he's like, you know what would be nice, being being the first guy to beat him 
Okay, but this is what I'm. This is more why I'm trying to tie it in because LeBron sort of alluded to the fact that he was sort of testing the waters in Game One, which is why they lost. And then after Game Two, it was it was a different story from him. But uh, there's the notion is out there that LeBron James is just feeling things out, and then he's going to turn it on and he's going to go four four games in a row, and they're not going to be able to beat him. So I just I hope that that's not the case, and so find a way to win. tomorrow night and find a way to win in Cleveland. They need to win a game on the road. If they they think they're going to even have any sort of semblance of a sniff at the NBA finals. Otherwise they're going to get swept right out of there. And the only thing that can save them is the refs at that point, which wouldn't that be ironic. I still think it's right now. It's the fact that the Celtics offense is not functioning like itself. I I just saw a stat right now that said that the after allowing 55 points in the, in the paint in game one and two, an average of, they're averaging 36 points in game three and four, giving up in the paint. And I think a, a lot of that has to do with the fact that the, the, the Celtics are not playing Aaron Bain. They're playing their smaller lineup. And like the Cavaliers are sticking with their bigger lineup. And yep. I, I don't think that they've, the Celtics have, and Brad Stevens just like figured out a way to really make them pay. I think that Al Horford's not playing well these last couple games because he's been single covered by Tristan Thompson, which is sort of limiting their, you know, putting the Thompson's ball in his hands and off ball cutting. Yeah, I don't I don't see Horford, like, making the, the passing plays that he's been making, uh, you know, throughout this playoff. And I don't think that they have enough sort of, you know, traditional point guard play to overcome that right now. I, I think they need to figure out a way to generate more ball movement. I don't I don't like anything from them. And I, but, I, but I think a lot of that has to do with the, the lineups the Cavaliers are playing. The Celtics haven't really countered things. So I, I kind of I have a tough time switching to line front, but starting to think that Stevens is probably going to stick with his same lineup going into game, game five here because he's at home and he thinks that the Celtics are going to play better or what have you. Maybe he tweaks something. But when it comes to these road games and it, it just it seems as though there's a little bit of a disadvantage and that ball movement doesn't really happen on the road, I start to look at the guys who – uh, are have have the biggest disparity home road right and I mean Al Horford kind of disappeared in in one of these games in Cleveland but overall I think he played relatively well and Marcus Morris has sort of been there the the whole time getting in foul trouble which some of the fouls are cheap on him and some of them are bad on the refs but either way I think he needs to be in the starting lineup as well and Brown are scoring machines I think those guys really need to to be out there. So then you're starting to look at who your point guard is, Calvin, and that's where I might make a change on the road because Terry Rozier in Boston, and as excellent as he has been and as above the expectations as he has been this year, I feel like Marcus Smart poses a little bit more of a defensive threat on switching and and jumping out of, at LeBron James than Terry Rozier does. He, Rozier got abused in Cleveland when he, uh, he had to switch on to LeBron James. So I just, I feel like ultimately, yes, over the game, maybe, but if you want to try and set the tone on the road, you put Rozier on the bench and you let Marcus Smart be your point guard and then try to run some things through Al Horford as well. And that's, to me, the switch that needs to happen. I'm, I'm not so sure they need to really go back to the big lineup. 
Rory, I'm starting to feel like, and maybe it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's this series and then it's also the, the Western Conference Finals, even more so there. I'm starting to feel like the, the, the value of forcing the switch is not as necessarily as high. Uh, like, there are things you can do to, like, uh, to switch and allow a guy on another guy and, like, still have it work out. Like, if you, you – know, because especially early in the series, what the Celtics are doing with Rozier is, like, the, the Cavs seem to want to force a switch, and it would look like Rozier was guarding a guy. And then while the ball was in the air – the Celtics would switch them out to whoever, to, to somebody else. And the Celtics were so quick at their switch that, like, right. Rozier was basically, like, a bait for a switch that never came or yep. for, like, a, a defender who wasn't there. And they, they spent so much time trying to track down Rozier. All of a sudden, there's seven, eight seconds on the, on the track clock. And even if you end up with a guy on Rozier, like, Rozier is, is sturdy enough to, like, hold that sure. guy. And, and the Celtics play the passing lane well enough to, like, become but not on the road. It, I'm I'm talking yeah. strictly road games. I wouldn't if, I, if he doesn't want to make a change for tomorrow night, then I'm fine with that. If he thinks his guys are going to play much better at home and that they're going to have the advantage and the crowd's going to be behind them and he just wants to roll with his guys, that's that's totally fine. But if you start talking about the road games where there's guys that clearly struggle on the road, I feel like he needs to make a change. Oh yeah, no, in that respect, I agree with you. I'm I'm just talking about in general the this like I think we're like. The, the the notion of like NBA just breaking down to math and like finding the weakest defender on the floor every time and using up as much of the shot clock as you can to switch somebody on. You know, the the Rockets are doing it like even more relentlessly with Curry, right? And like, I don't think it's working out because one, like the teammates are, are, are good enough and you saw it too. Like the Celtics teammates are, are quick enough to rotate back. Like I'm not worried about Rozier ending up on LeBron occasionally because LeBron is going to be effective against anyone. You know, is he going to be so much more effective against Rozier that it's like worth all the time they're wasting and all the like off ball scenarios just to try to get that. And when, when they're not going to get it a hundred percent of the time anyway, like I, I feel like let them try. I understand what you're saying about him, like just performing terribly and maybe you need, uh, you know, Marcus Smart's leadership and, or, or whatever, even his, maybe you want, you want to argue that he's like, he, controls the offense better in terms of at least being a distributor and not a shooter. And I, I think that's confidence, fair. really. I'm sorry? Just like the confidence that Marcus Smart has out there on the road is, yeah. is totally, it's at a different level than Terry Rozier. I, for whatever reason it is, whether he's just, this is really his first real experience in a playoff series on the road, or uh, he just, I don't know. I don't know what, how to explain it away, but he, he does not look good in clutch situations. He looks like he's forcing shots. He looks like he's uh, making decisions that he doesn't make at home. And I, and I, I just I, I don't want to throw that excuse out there, but it seems obvious. So right. why not bring it up? All right. Well, making a good point. Um, yeah. So we did just do game three. We may do another game. So. Um, Hopefully. I yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they keep out. going. Anyway, Hopefully. we're also up against the Western Conference Finals right now, so I don't know if you want to throw an update out there about that. I have a score from about a minute ago. Apparently people on Twitter are saying that James Harden is uh, he's, uh, shaking a little bit here. He's He looks like he's uh, downtrodden, if you will. 
and the Warriors are up 2-1 to one in that series. They're off to a great start here in Game 4. So, I don't know, man. The Warriors just, they keep on rolling. They they're, they, they look like they're going to steamroll everyone. Well, here's the thing. So, the Warriors the Warriors are probably going to win this series, right? You, I mean, almost certainly, right? And they're, they're almost certainly yeah. going to win the NBA yes. title. We, we, we can come out and say that, right? You, sure. You, I, mean, I, I would even go as far to say that the Warriors will win the NBA title in four games. And if you want to let me hedge my bet, I will say no more than five. There's no Even if Cleveland gets there, I don't care, LeBron James, any of this crap, it's not going past game five. The Warriors look that good. Yeah, okay. So, since, since it's a four-time conclusion, can I just say, and, and this is just my nature, man, I like the, I like the continuing of failed narratives. Like, I, I enjoyed the Chicago Cubs until they won the World Series. Now I could not care less about them. Now they're worthless. The same thing for the Red Sox, by the way. That, that doesn't make sense. Like, I like the, the, like, the curses Back and the, the day, like, yeah. oh, this team fails. And like, yeah, and you know what else I like? I like James Harden. I don't remember against James Harden. I mean, other than the fact that, like, watching the Rockets can be just mind-bogglingly tedious, but that's, that's not his fault. He didn't design the offense. So... I don't have anything personal against James Harden, but I I would like to see, for my own amusement, James Harden fail in spectacular fashion. Does that make me a bad person? Well, okay, but hold on. What's the difference between James Harden failing and, like, Chris Paul failing? Like, do you, do you feel the same about him, or is, it, is there a difference there? Oh, yeah. or, are there any other players similar to James Harden, or is it just is it something about Harden? I don't get it. Because Chris Paul has been basically failing his entire career, and... He's on this Rockets team, still failing. But you uh, want to pick out James Harden? Well, I, yeah. Well, my my here's my thing with Chris Paul. In the case of Chris Paul, I I really don't think it's like I think the Chris Paul thing is overblown. In that, like, I don't think it's entirely his fault. He's played well in series that the Clippers have lost. Like, he's been the best player on the court. Like. For miles, it was that's like a Clippers thing. I was glad to see the Clippers not make the conference finals. Chris Paul wants to go to Houston and make the conference finals. I'm fine with that because the Clippers still haven't made a conference final. So, like, so somehow that like got attached to Chris and Paul. They won't. I've always sort of thought it's unfair because he's had dominant playoff series and then they've just sort of come up short. I James Harden, yeah, he's had dominant playoff series, but like every time they lose a series. It seems like something happens where he like just disappears to a confounding level, you know. And I would like to see it happen again. I mean, it seems to be happening tonight. So maybe you'll get your wish. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna just pull up the box score so I know exactly what I'm talking about. But if if Twitter is any indication, uh, Mr. Harden is not having the greatest of games right now, and uh, sort of seems engaged. Yes, my internet is definitely not as fast as it should be. Um, either way, do you agree that the Warriors are just really going to just stomp regardless of, of of who comes out of the Eastern Conference? Because to me, it seems like the Celtics would stand absolutely no chance and the Cavs might win a game. Yeah, I don't think either team stands a chance. To me, I mean, hmm. And maybe this is, this is probably an unfair question to ask you, but like, 
it, it, I did hear it brought up on a sports show, and I'm I'm curious. What do you think America wants for this finals? Like, assuming the Warriors huh. make it, right? You you I actually even include the Warriors. You th- what do you think America like? If, if America could vote and like pick the two teams to to make the finals, which two teams do you think America would pick? Because like, do you think the people? Do you think the people want to see? I feel them like America would a series where America's just not going to watch. I just I, Houston and Golden State. Uh, I, I feel like America would lean at Houston just because of the uh, the hurricane down there and just. The fact that uh, I don't know they they haven't been there in a while, uh, but they would probably also lean Cleveland, I guess, because of LeBron James uh, and the fact that everyone hates Boston. A lot of people hate Boston out there. A lot of Boston haters. Good for you. Keep your opinion to yourself. Actually, bring me your opinion. I'll just ignore it. Um, and. So to me, it's it's a Houston Cleveland series that America would want to see. But if if you are a basketball fan and you want to see two teams go at it, then you should pick Golden State and someone else, any other team. Pick pick a pick a team that's that like of of the greatest players and put them all together and have them go up against Golden State because. Neither Cleveland nor Boston is going to give them a series. That's what I say. I say Golden State is a powerhouse right now, and the Celtics look like they're they're on their way to contending with that and competing with that if they can get Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward to be healthy and get Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum along with those players as well and fill in the pieces from there. They look like they're going to be a contender. Cleveland, if they can find a way to keep LeBron James and maybe get couple other better players on their roster also look like a contender right now. But ultimately, Calvin, if we're talking about the next 10 days to, to whatever, 20 days, whatever it's going to be, Golden State's the team. They're going to romp. Why even watch? I, I wonder, I'm going to push back a little on what you said about the Celtics because I don't, and maybe you would, you would probably know more than I do, but I don't feel like the Celtics are a team that like gets as much hate as as you think. First of all, I, I feel like most of the hate in the NBA is is directed at players, and this, I don't think that necessarily, other than Kyrie, the Celtics uh, well, have, like, not really that hated. The Celtics don't have a player. I, I guess I should have prefaced that. Maybe I should just preface that with uh, the people that I see on Twitter. So the Twitter okay, world that I see is is a bunch of Celtics haters at times, and. I just a lot of the people that I follow seem to be getting in in arguments with Celtics haters a lot, so uh, that's that's what I see. Okay, that's fair. I I tend to like not see I, I I see a lot of hate for players, but I don't see hate for like specific teams outside of those players other than maybe the Lakers. But that's because mm. of the, the and it's not because I'm a Laker fan. It's because of the, the fan base of the Lakers and people feel like they're frontliners or whatever. Um. Yeah, so I, I, other than that, I mean, you, you, you could be right. But I, I just posed that question because it is interesting. Are people tired of the Warriors? Are you tired of the Warriors, Ray? Uh I think I was tired of the Warriors when Durant signed with them. And if he hadn't uh-huh. signed with them and they would still be playing this well, then I think I'd be in awe of the Warriors because Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green making a run like this would be pretty impressive because because as good as those guys are, 
they they don't seem like they are a dominant force. Kevin Durant puts them over the top. He makes them a powerhouse. He makes them a historical team. And there's no competition for it. So in that regard, I'm not tired of them because we're watching history. And I would, I'm going to be happy to look back and say, not only was I in attendance at some of these games in, in general over the course of their run over the past few years, uh, but the we were watching them on television. We're talking about them. We're living through a, a piece of NBA history. So in that regard, I think it's great. But in regards to the parody that the league is trying to achieve, it's obviously not good. If they break this thing up, teams will be more mediocre in the, in the middle, but more competitive probably. And you might have a little bit better of a playoff run here because a lot of these series, Calvin were, were too fast. They were too quick. There was a, too much of a gap between uh, the the semifinals and the the finals of the, of each conference. And I think the league is probably hoping to fix that somehow. But the best way to do that is to get better competition and teams that are closer to each other. So ultimately, I think for the league, the Warriors are actually not a good thing. But from a fan standpoint, I I think it's exciting and I think it's it's fun to watch. That's why I would watch. But the average the fan, there's yeah. no reason to. I want to hate the Warriors. I don't. I'm, I'm kind of turned somewhat on Kevin Durant. Like I didn't blame him for going to Golden State, but then he sort of he's turned into he he sort of had this like angry, passive aggressive personality. Like I don't understand what he's so angry. It's the same reason why I turned against LeBron when he was sort of like blaming everyone else and being like acting out and like sure, I, always. I, I sort of hated him and I, I kind of feel the same way about Durant right now I kind of dislike him in the way he is and so I kind of want to dislike the Warriors because then it's just like Durant's carrying them and just shooting like boring contested jump shots over and over again but then I watch and then Curry just has like a, the quarters that he has sometimes it's so exciting basketball like the basketball looks so fun to watch that it's like it's difficult for me to not want to watch them destroy the rocks. Even though you're right, it makes the league boring. Like the the inevitability of it, and it's like teams are more fun when they're on the rise, or there's like a chance they could lose. You know, um, you know the, the Lakers won five titles like since I've been around, but it felt to me, except for uh, 2001, where they went 15 and one in the playoffs. Like I felt like they were going to lose all of them. You know what I mean? Like, they were down in every series. It was, like, exciting. It's just, like, the inevitability of the Warriors is kind of, like, it's kind of soul-crushing sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, uh, I just, I feel like some team is going to come along and give them a run, right? And then at some point they're going to get broken up. But when? When does it happen? Is it two years from now? Is it three years from now? How long can Durant and Curry play together, right? I mean, Draymond Green, let him go. Klay Thompson, let him go. I feel like if you have those t- top two guys, you could you can mold other players into the Draymond Greens or the Klay Thompson. Know. I mean, I don't know, man. Listen, Durant and Curry are superstar type of players. Klay Thompson, to me, is a is a great shooter, uh, and he can do a lot of good things. And but you can replace him. And Draymond Green, excellent player all-star caliber type of things. He does some, some garbage time stuff some or some garbage man stuff that 
not a lot of guys will do. He does a lot of the, the defensive stuff. He's defensive player of the year, but you could still, again, find a way to replace him as long as you're surrounding Curry and Durant with, with good players. So even if those two guys command big salaries in the future, I feel like this Warriors team is here to stay if they can find a way to lock up Kevin Durant and Steph Curry for, for the next seven years. I agree with you that Clay's not a necessity, but I don't agree about Draymond. I, I watch what they, especially, like, honestly, what they do defensively like, with Draymond and the way he rotates, like, I don't know if, like, there's a more impact. Even Kawhi, who can lock anyone up one by one, like, Draymond's ability to basically, like, they don't even take shots when he's around. Like, they're just, they just, they, like, get the ball away from him no matter where he is. And somehow I've seen positions where, like, he manages to guard, like, four or five different guys on the same position and rotate and, like, somehow get back around to somebody before them. Like, I don't know. If you watch him, like, on that end, it's incredibly impressive. And it looks like Clay just got hurt right now. He's walking back to the locker room. So we'll, we'll see them for the rest of this game without Clay. I know Clay is, like, a luxury. You're right about that. He's good. But I think that, yeah, they could, they could find a way to replace him. I don't necessarily feel the same way about Draymond. All right. Fair enough. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Draymond Green. I think, he, like I said, defensive player of the year caliber type of player. I think he's one of the best defensive players and certainly the best role player in the entire game. And I will call him that, a role player. Uh, he is a is a supreme role player. And if, if you want to debate that with me, that's fine. But uh, he's no, I agree. obviously not the star of the team. He does a lot of the little things that need to be done to uh, to win games. So, if if Marcus Smart was six foot nine like Draymond Green, I think we'd be talking about him in a very similar manner. Mm. I'm not. Mm. I'm not quite sure. Mm. All right. I mean, he's not six nine, so but I, right. I hear what you're saying. Okay. Interesting. All right. You see what I mean, I'll though? It's, it's, it's about the tenacity. It's about the, the mentality. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I think that you can almost teach those things that Draymond Green does and that Marcus Smart does uh, if you find the, the guy with, with, the right, with the right mentality. And, sure, you've got to start early. You can't just teach them that when they jump into the NBA because they've already got their tendencies, et cetera. But you can find a guy like that, I think, at some point, they they will be out there. They exist. It's just a matter of how they fit into your team. So, I don't know. I, I, I the, my point, my larger point is that the Warriors are going to be up against some salary demands at some point over the next couple of years because there's just too much star power on their team. So, if they can find a way to keep their top two, that's how I think they can sustain this thing. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they can let Durant or Curry walk away and keep Draymond Green instead and find another guy to be the top dog. But if you start telling me that Draymond Green is, is your second best player uh, or, or even your third best player, then I, I think that uh, you're not as dynastic as you think you are. I mean, I think he's their third best player now, and they're, they're pretty dynastic. But um, fair enough. All right. Uh We've talked enough about them, right? All good. So let me get a quick uh, prediction. Do you think the, you think the Celtics are winning the series, or are they losing? Oh man, I just I I I think I still need to predict Cavs in seven, right? I, I've I said it before, and as good as the Celtics look at home, I I still 
can't bring myself to pick against LeBron James. So uh, I hate to do it. And I mean, it's that sort of thing where I'm kind of hedging because I, I hope I'm wrong. Obviously I don't want to be right about this, but uh, if you had a gun to my head and I had to choose, I would probably go with LeBron because he looks amazing right now. And uh, he is the type of, of player that uh, when it comes down to game seven in a hostile environment, He's he's the guy you bet on because the Celtics don't have a player like that. And even though they'll be at home, not in the hostile environment, and they'll be comfortable, uh, I still don't feel like they have anyone that can stop him when he when he is at his at his best. And I think we saw that the last two games. And I feel like he will be there again in Game Seven at his ultimate best. He knows that it's a it's a knockout game if there's a situation where the Celtics have a third win in this series. So. Celtics win tomorrow, or if they find a way to win in Cleveland, uh, then LeBron is is the guy to look at. And to me, that's that's where you go. Yeah, it's because of what you said about LeBron. Like, it's hard for me. I mm, part of me wants to even take that a step further and say that the Cavs won in six. I don't know. It's just a feeling hmm. that I have at this point. And maybe that's unfair to, like, how well the Celtics have been all season. And I, I think a lot of it goes back to sort of my, again, fav- favoring experience in, like... So, the- all right. So, as far as favoring experience is concerned, I would almost look at LeBron as a guy that's sort of looking towards the future. And whether you believe that he is going to stay in Cleveland or go to the Lakers or what or Houston or what have you, whatever team you think he's going to go to... Don't you think that he, if, if there's even a, an inkling in his mind that he will stay in Cleveland, he's going to try and prepare these players uh, for everything that, that, he, that he can while he's there. And if he's anything, if he's any sort of teacher and the greatest, et cetera, that people think that, that he is, then I would imagine that maybe he'll, he'll uh, try and get these guys involved more tomorrow night, which would lead me to think that the Celtics might actually win tomorrow night but when it comes down to a game seven he's just going to take over and to me that's that's how I look at LeBron James and it's just I can't as much as I hate the guy and I think he's arrogant it's it's almost the the Kobe Bryant syndrome with me there's a point where you just have to stop talking about him as a person and how you perceive him and his attitude etc and just look at the way he plays basketball and respect it and I, I feel like LeBron uh, is turning that, that corner for me, and I don't want to see him in a game seven because it's just if it's anything like the last two nights, uh, he's just going to go, he's going to run wild all over Boston, and we've seen it before. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I've already made the like better than Jordan argument at this point, so I I also do not like LeBron, but I also like being right about things, and so I will take the side that I honestly believe is the most right, regardless of like my personal feelings about it. And I guess that's where I'm at right now. I sort of feel like there's going to be a snowball rolling downhill. I hope that's not the case. But if I had to predict something, that's what I'd predict. Oh, by the way, uh, James Harden is 5 of 10 with 14 points. He's fine. Yeah, Half of their he's points. doing fine. He's doing fine. So it was early in the first quarter I saw these tweets about James Harden being shook and all this. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing all right. They're they're hanging in there, but Golden State still looks like they're gonna they're gonna end up winning this thing. They're up ten, halfway through the second, in control. 
We'll see. It's still early. All right, what else did I say we were going to talk about? Fifteen minutes left in the show. Oh, you got DeMarcus Cousins. You got the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. And why you would want to talk about them, the worst team in baseball? I don't know. Uh, and then, of course, a story that's probably big out in California, the uh, the linebacker for the 49ers. Oh, yeah. Oh, and if we, I forgot I wanted to mention the NFL kickoff changes, too. I'll push that tonight, please. But um, you know what? DeMarcus, DeMarcus, well, we'll see. We'll see how these long. We'll do DeMarcus last, and if we have time, we'll get it in. If not. Um, so the Tampa Bay Rays, really, I don't know if you've heard about this, but, like, a couple of games over the weekend – they decided not to start their starting pitcher. Instead, they started their setup man, their eighth-inning pitcher, and he pitched, you know, one inning, one game, and an inning in the third in the next game. Yep. To, uh, so he could pitch to the heart of the order because the idea was, like, you know, obviously you can't guarantee, like, who will be, if you assign guys innings, like, who will be batting at the heart of the order. But by sure. pitching him in the first, you, you guarantee that he's, that he's going using those guys, and then you bring your starter in. And then you sort of still have your closer for the end of the game. And a lot of people think, well, like, that's interesting. Maybe it you know, can revolutionize baseball or affect baseball in some way. What do you think of, what do you think of the idea? Well, I mean, I, I guess it, it kind of uh, is the same thing as a starting lineup in basketball. We were just talking about Marcus Smart playing in the starting lineup where I was suggesting that maybe on the road he'd be a better choice to start the game than Terry Rozier. But ultimately – uh, as you're going throughout the game, you want your best players and you want your uh, your your players that are playing playing the best, the ones that look the best together on the court, being in the game as it goes on. So if Terry Rozier comes in off the bench and really lights it up and plays better than Smart, then he'll probably play more than Smart, right? In baseball, it's a little different because once you put a guy in, you can't take him. Or once you take a guy out, a pitcher out, you can't put him back in. So it's interesting that that uh, Tampa would try this because I mean they are horrible, but I kind of like the idea of your your starter being able to go five to six innings in the middle of a game if you think that the matchup is going to be better for you in those situations. Like if you if you are confident that your reliever is going to get the first say I don't know five to six outs of of a of a game. Maybe it's even just four outs if he's going to get everybody out and you let him keep rolling. And then you've got a starter that's going to be able to come in and pitch to the bottom of the lineup and then get himself in a little bit of a groove and pitch another four or five innings and be able to get all those guys out as well. And then you have your closer at the end. It seems like uh, it's something that it should be looked at for sure. And obviously, if you have a starter that's going to go out there like Chris Sale or even David Price the other night and pitch seven, eight, nine innings, they're going to pitch a complete game, then fine. You don't want to do that. But in, in the Rays situation, and maybe their, their manager thought that they, this was better for them. And um, I don't know. I mean, they – who knows if they – I don't know. Do you know if they even won that game? But the point is, like, overall – if you can find a way to get your better pitcher more innings and to pitch to the bottom of the lineup first, I'm for it. Yeah. Here's the thing for me. I've long been frustrated with the notion, and this is like a common thing. I think we just sort of 
have always believed this traditionally. Like the notion that like whatever happens at the end of the game is more valuable than than what happens at the beginning of the game. Or like, let me ask you, let me ask you a question. How many games in the Celtics uh, Cleveland series, and even combine that with the Rockets Warriors series, have been won or lost at the end of the game? Zero. Not many, yeah. I mean... Yeah, of them have been decided in quarters to the extent that the fourth quarter didn't matter, or even... You, that's a knock so on the games. NBA usually, right? Or or no, that's the opposite of the knock on the NBA. Usually people yeah. say, well, just watch the last five minutes, but ultimately these games have been decided early this year. Right, but, in, but even beyond that, look, there's so many times when a team, even when the game is relatively close, and... And then I, I see so many games where a team gets up like six points, and then the two teams play to a standstill in the fourth quarter, and maybe when one team, because it's behind, feel, feels the pressure of that and having this, you know, take maybe threes that they don't want to take, or they have to do things they don't want to do because they're behind. And in in my mind, and the same thing applies to baseball, by the way, because once because when you're up, you're pitching one you you're pitching one way, you're protecting the lead. When you're down, you're pitching another way. Same thing works in all sports. You know, obviously soccer is like the extreme end of it, right? Like how a team plays when they're down versus they're up. But like it happens in football, you start running, you, you can start running the clock, or running the ball. You don't have to, you can call whatever you want. When you're behind, you have to start throwing the ball down the field. Like it limits your options. I would argue that, that in a way, and in fact, this is straight up. So the earlier on you are in a game, and the more important it is. Because that's sure. the, 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 so everything else. Yeah. Tampa did not end up winning that game, actually. But uh, they did pitch seven scoreless innings, including the first three batters were struck out. So, so that's something, at least. Yeah, that's fine. They're not good. But I'm just saying we need to blow up this idea that, like, the end of the game is the most – like, the ninth inning is just one inning, the same way the eighth inning is. You know what I mean? Yeah, teams have pretty good closers. That's fine. But like, how many games are won in the ninth? Just, just generally, as opposed to like every. You think if we if we took the the closers out, right, and we replaced, we put the closer in 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 the fourth inning, right, and then we put like an average an average pitcher in the ninth inning, and that or an average reliever in that scenario, right, on a pretty good team. But let's say he's your third or fourth best reliever instead of your closer. You think overall, it, but you're still pitching your closer in the fourth inning. You think overall you would lose that many more games? Like it would affect you dramatically because uh, this guy can't protect the ninth, even though you're still getting you're still getting just pitching in another inning. Well, I that's the idea that. of baseball, right? Is that the the ninth inning is so important? It's it's so clutch. It's uh, it's the the time where you really need to have that mentality to come in as a closer and shut down the the, the other team. When, I mean, really, maybe you're right. Maybe the mentality needs to change. Maybe you just need to have stuff and and be confident in it and pitch it pitch whenever your manager deems it you the, the guy that needs to go in and, pl- and pitch because some of these closers are, are really, uh, really head cases, you know, and it, that kind of messes with them too. And I, I feel like if, they, if baseball can get to a point where they're actually – they're not – they don't have these – unwritten sort of rules where you're putting one a certain guy into a certain slot and you can just sort of fluidly bring pitchers into games and and see who's hot that day i feel like it's a little bit more exciting and 
more watchable for sure. I can't remember the last time I actually sat down and watched a full nine-inning baseball game, to be honest with you. And it's because because of this this slow sort of uh, repetition by the, the pitchers that, I mean, some of them, they really get in a jam and they slow down. And it's just, I feel like baseball just needs something to sort of spice it up. And uh, if there wasn't this sort of rigidness, I, that might help. I mean, baseball's got a million problems. We if we don't have enough time left in the show to keep, keep talking sure. about them, I'm certainly sure. we can do the we can do the issues with baseball show. But I, yeah, I just think like the mentality, and it's not even just baseball. Like it it it's a sports thing. It's like the the like unfair emphasis on like what happens on the end of the game. It doesn't even have to be from the fans. Like from our perspective, we can say whatever we want. But from like from like a coaching from from like an intelligence perspective of wanting your team to win, you should realize that, like, the end of the game is not any more important than any other time, and especially especially because the, the, the clock makes, like, being disadvantaged at the end of the game worse than being disadvantaged early in the game, and th- therefore it's, like, you don't want to be in that situation, so you, you want to use, like, that time to, to get up if you can, and thus, I kind of think it's like the argument should be turned on its head. Like the earlier, the earlier you can do well in a game, the better in any any game. And the other team is, is spending energy to get back. Being up is always going to be better than being down. And particularly, uh, you know, obviously at the end of the game, that's going to be the case. But like, you're still you're creating a scenario that like only increases your advantage. All right. Well, we got five minutes left. What else do you want to hit? Uh, I'm gonna hit this uh, 49ers linebacker, Ruben Foster. Do it, right? All right. This yeah. is this is a shocking him, story to me. So, full disclosure, I didn't know about this story until about 20 minutes before the show, and Calvin sent it to me, and I read through as much as I could. Uh, but uh, this this is craziness. Yeah. So he's a 49ers linebacker. Um, was accused of domestic uh, assault by his ex girlfriend. Uh, the team, I believe. Sus- Said you know took a wait and see approach. They said we have you know we let's we know more information about this, but and sort of they got criticized for being hypocritical because they said they had a zero tolerance policy, um, and so now it's come out. She's basically come out and said, yeah, I lied about uh, saying that he that he hurt me. Uh, I wanted to hurt him, and this is this is how I was going to do it. Also, that she took some of his watches. And she's done this to, to previous boyfriends. She's admitting it now because she feels like that's the honorable thing to do. Really? Or, like, so ugh, this this makes me think of all sorts of, of, of questions. Like, first of all, she, she's saying these things in court. So you kind of, by by nature, have to believe what she's saying in a court of law. Okay? So the fact that she's lied about all these things in the, fa- in the, in the past is is crazy that she's been playing all these guys. What repercussions are going to happen to this woman now? I'm not sure. But um, if she is indeed lying now in court, think of this conspiracy theory, because that's where my mind goes, with this crazy shit. Uh, think of this. She's lying now in court because he paid her off more than what she would have made in a settlement in court or had some sort of deal 
off the record or something like that. That's my conspiracy theory, just having known about this story for 20 minutes. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't, I don't know. Here's, here's what I'm going to say to this, okay? Because we only have a couple minutes. I don't know what the truth is, okay? Maybe, maybe there's an element of, like, yeah, he, he committed assault, and, and now he paid her off, and now she's coming out. And, and look, that's, that's theoretically possible. But, and this is why, when the, every time this kind of situation comes up, I'm, my answer is always, look, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to say Paul more. He says she's lying. But, like, this is, this is why I've long argued that, like, the NFL also should not get involved in this situation. Because what does the NFL do with this? Like, do they, do they still hand the suspension down? Because they've handed down suspension to guys who have been exonerated in court because uh, the NFL, you know, not exonerated, but sort of not had charges pressed against them. Because the NFL says, you know, we're, we're not a court of law. If there's a whiff of, of domestic assault, connected to you, we're going to suspend you. If you're the NFL, what do you do? You just ignore this? Do you, it seemed until this, until today, it, it was like a certainty that he was headed towards suspension. Do yeah. You, you, I feel, I feel like they're just going to turn their, their, their head. I think they're going to look the other way. They are just going to maybe say in light of the, the recent developments, we are no longer pursuing further action and that's that. By the way, Houston cut the lead to one here, huh? Sorry, oh, yeah. I'm in the middle of a serious story, as we typically do here at the end of our shows. Anyway, continue. Go quick. No, I'm pretty. I'm pretty much done. I don't look. All right. It's it's just yeah. It, it's just like I don't think they should be getting involved in these scenarios because you never you never know. They you won't. Know, you don't know what happened. You like it's it's not really like. He, you know, what if the 49ers cut him? Then, then what, right? The 49ers cut him. Wasn't there another scenario like this with a, with a player recently? Yeah. I, didn't know, I remember there was a Cowboys receiver who was like, uh, he was cut for right. the Right. Yeah, yes, yes. Falsely accused because he had the same name as somebody else yeah. in Pennsylvania, right? Yes, of course. Yeah. So I, I just, and granted, Ruben Foster's a lot better than this guy, but like, I don't want to see. And I realize it's, like, not a common thing. And, like, when I, I hear, well, the statistics of, like, false accusations are, are blah, 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 even though, like, I have a hard time believing that one way or another because how, no, can, you quantify, how can you quantify, like, false accusations because nobody, like, people aren't going to admit, unless you get caught in the act, like, or, or it's a situation where you're in court and, like, she has to admit that she's done this before. Like, usually people who have done false accusations like don't really feel the need to volunteer it for statistical verification i've you know i've been the big i'm not going to say what or get into the story but i've been the, the victim of a false accusation once myself i was exonerated interesting yeah so, so you know you know firsthand that this is uh, something that happens in america yeah and not that it's common but again i don't know anyone's case and like i feel like for the nfl to get involved on on the legal side of things is like it's it's just choppy, dangerous waters, and I wouldn't do it. All right, and that's how we're going to end the show because we're not going to dig any deeper into this false accusation conversation and uh, be done. So okay. maybe we'll talk to you next week. Hopefully, actually. Nah, actually, I don't know if the NBA Finals are scheduled for Tuesday. No, they're probably not. It's probably next Thursday or some crap. They always extend things out 
excessively. Uh, anyway, um, actually, it won't be next Tuesday, so we should be able to have a show because if the Celtics are playing Game 7, that will be Sunday. So that means the Western Conference Game 7 would have been scheduled for Monday. And right. then uh, Tuesday there would be no game. So this might be the first time since February that we've had two careless whispers in a row. Back-to-back weeks, Calvin. Can you believe it? Well, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. We'll see. Right. We'll see. Well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll see it. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I would just say Anything possible! See you later, buddy. Not everybody.